Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bladed Apples, a horror podcast dropping a trick or treat bag every week. And this is our year, end of the year wrap up for wrapping, 2021. Wrapping, wrapping it up. Wrapping, wrapping it up like, like a Christmas gift. Because it's, I rhyme and I rip. I rip and I rap. Yeah, because it's <laughs> December still. Right. <laughs> this, we didn't miss it. Yeah. <laughs> you missed it. <laughs> I'm Rocky. I'm drinking. I'm Blaze. <laughs> Blaze is very drunk right now. I'm so. fucking lit. <laughs> so please excuse him. <laughs> but yeah, this week is a uh, where we're finally doing our best of 2021. It'll be some of the uh, best horror movies, or at least horror movies that we enjoyed. Yes. Uh, it'll be some of the best horror video games. Yep. And TV shows and whatever else. Clothing brand. Forget to write down the clothing brand. Yeah. So I, we're going to go mine. through a lot of stuff. Um, but first, how you been this week, man? I've been surviving. Um, haven't been watching too much this week. No? Uh, no I've been uh, mainly playing through games and trying new games and stuff like that to get some content for our Pudkist. 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 Podcast. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, that's about it. What about you? Um, just work. Yeah. <laughs> just work. That's about it. I know. You've been so silent this week. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been like, is he all right? Yeah. He'll work six days, 10 hours a day. Fuck that. That's depressing right there. <laughs> it's just, it's. It's it's not worth it. It's not worth the money. It's not worth any of it. You just do a job like that, and then like all your creativity or inspiration just gets snuffed out. And they're like, "You should be thankful to us." Like, yeah, fuck you. Like, no. I shouldn't be thankful for you. I am not. It's like I'm just a cog that's easily replaceable at this point. So yeah. So welcome to our uh, <laughs> depression cast. Welcome to our existential dread cast. <laughs> um, but anyways. Uh, uh, we did see Scream, though. We did. We saw Scrim. We saw Scrim. Uh, <laughs> we saw Scrim. Uh, the new, the newest in the Scrim series. And we enjoyed it. Yeah. We enjoyed it. I, I liked it more as I thought about it. Yeah, I was the same. Yeah. Like, I left being like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. And the more I sat on it, the more I'm like, you know what? They're right. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> this is a piece of shit. Because that kind of is like the point of the movie. Yeah. Is like, oh, really? Another reboot. Great. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that's the thing with uh, Scream. There's there's a couple of crucial elements where, A, it has to be like basically a murder mystery where yep. there's a killer going around and part of the fun is like, who's the killer or killers, whichever one. And then um, the other big crucial thing is that it has to be a deconstruction of either the genre or what's really popular in filmmaking at the time, right? So the first screen, of course, is a deconstruction of the slasher franchise. Um, the second one was a deconstruction of the first one <laughs> of, of, of sequelitis and like, you know, how bad sequels normally are. The third movie is a deconstruction. Well, Third one was the only one written, not written by Kevin Williamson, besides this new one. But 
they tried their best and it was about like the studio system and how bad like third films are normally. Well, I remember it's you not telling quite me Scream focused. 3 is the absolute best. <laughs> it's, it's not the best of the series, but I like Scream 3. I think it does a lot of uh, really good stuff. Is there any it, Scream movie you don't like? No, I like all five of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was um, But I really like 4. 4 is a deconstruction on the popularity of um, like reboots. That one, like this one, reboots, but like for those – because it came out like 2010, 2011, so it was yeah. basically st- a statement on everything that's coming out like the 2000s, like all those remakes of like, you know, mainly like Platinum Dune films, like, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, both of those, which are Wes Craven remakes. Oh, um, yeah. You know, like, Halloween, like all these things where it's like, we're remaking stuff and we're making it like all grainy looking or like overlit and stuff. But also, is also a really good statement about, um, uh, Generation X versus Boomers, you know, yeah. because it's written, it was directed by a Boomer, written by Generation X, and both of them like talking shit about basically millennials, <laughs> like, <laughs> and like that this where fandom is going and like remakes and everything. So it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a bitter film. So it's um, very bitter. Yeah, but I kind of like that about it. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm the like- new Scream is is about. Uh, I mean, not spoiling anything because I'm sure you can tell just by what it is, is that it's a statement on soft reboots or as they're known now, requels, where it's, hey, we're going to take this old property. We're going to bring it back. We're going to have a young cast, but the old cast is going to be handing it off to a young cast. Yep. And just retreading the same ground that we're that that's already been walked over multiple times and just like, hey, remember nostalgia. Take it. Is it me or does David Arquette almost look better in this movie than he did in the first? Yeah, it looks better uh, now. Yeah. 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 I I mean, I I think that everybody come back, you know, David Arquette and Nev Campbell and and, and Cordy Cox. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I, I like how they're all used in the film. I like some of the new cast. I think that the main girl is a little wooden. Well, not <laughs> just that. Yeah, much of a personality. I mean, but I like, I like, uh, as I say, Dennis Quaid, Jack Quaid. <laughs> um, I think Jack Quaid is an actor that, that I like seeing more and more, like between the boys and this. I like. He's he, the boyfriend, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was he was probably the shining star of the new cast. Yeah, I like him. I like the twins. Um, there's a yeah, the twins were good. Um, you know that the brother, you know, it's a, it's a the twins are a brother and a sister for me, doesn't know, but the um the brother. Is uh that's Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. You're shitting me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, that yeah, he's gonna go on to do stuff. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, this isn't a spoiler either, guys, but um a lot of the characters have relations to past people in the film series, you find out very quickly. But the twins are the nephew and niece of Randy, Randy Meeks, Jamie Kennedy's character. Randy. And I think I think I think between both of them, I think that they're um you, they they feel a lot like Randy in like a lot of ways. Yeah, they kind of do. Yeah, yeah. So like it, like even even though like like the brother is like a jock and everything like that, he's still like a fucking nerd. Yeah, <laughs> he's no, kind of like a loser. Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they they do a pretty good uh, whodunit as well. Yeah, yeah. You said it got you. Yeah, it got me because it's like I knew one of them. Yeah, right. And I was like a hundred percent sure, but they do a pretty good like little tur- twisty turn yeah. on it. Yeah, that's what matters. It, it, I mean, you know, this one was done by uh, Radio Silence, two of the guys from Radio Silence. Mm. Um, and previous to this, those same two directors and the same writer also did uh, Ready or Not. That was the previous movie they did, which is great. If you've never seen Ready or Not, you should. It um, is great. Yeah, that's a fun one. 
Um, but this one definitely has a lot of respect for Wes Craven, Kevin Williamson's legacy. Kevin Williamson was an executive producer on oh, the movie. Yeah, there was tons of credit to Wes Craven. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, and, and at the end, they dedicate the movie to Wes. And it feels like it's respectful while also having something to say, has something on its mind. The kills are way more brutal. I know a lot of people are saying that, but it's true. I mean, they, yeah, they, they up the, the violence ante. Um, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And everything's good. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it, I think it says what it has to say. I think it says it better than um, a movie we, we keep kept on meaning to bring up, but we haven't. Even though me and you actually kind of liked it and everybody else hates it, it's Matrix Resurrections. Yeah, no, I, I do enjoy Because Matrix Resurrections was also trying to be a meta take on requels. Yeah, it and absolutely like that. was. And, and, and I, for like the first 30 minutes, it's like super bitter. And then it just kind of turns into a Matrix movie for a long time. And then I feel like it kind of... I wish it just stuck with talking mad shit about like nostalgia and bringing stuff back because Lana Wachowski is clearly very bitter about having to do the film in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, there was a lot of, like, it's one of those movies, like uh, you, the more you read about it, the more you appreciate it when you're like, Oh, the thought process behind doing this, like matrix. Yeah. Yeah. And your thought process behind it makes it more interesting. Yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, to a regular viewer just going in and expecting an action movie you know for 30 minutes they're going to be in terrible dread <laughs> i mean i don't like the matrix sequels i don't two either or three. i like, I, the, I like the first one yeah so like when this new one was coming out or got announced i wasn't excited anyways and then whenever it came out everybody was like it's so bad it's like terrible and everything and i watched hbo max and i'll be honest like I didn't love it or anything, but I didn't think it was bad. I, I thought it was fine. I think I, I think the I thought first it holds 40, up better than their sequels. Yeah, to be I, honest, and I think the first forty minutes of the movie are really good. I think everything's really good until we actually like it turns into just the Trinity has. To, I mean, uh, Neo has to save Trinity. Like all that stuff. Like whatever turns into just a Matrix story is just like eh. right. But whatever uh, it's like, all these things about like the Matrix is a video game and uh, uh, Anderson. What's his first name? Thomas. Thomas Anderson yeah. created the game, and it's all about like, oh, the studio says we need to make another one, or 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 they'll and just find somebody else to do it. it. Yeah, and it's like, well, what do people want to see? Like, they were like bullet time. It's like, no, man, it's deeper than that. Actually, Matrix is like, it's all talking about like what the corporations want and yeah. what the fan base wants and all this stuff, and it's just kind of you know talking shit about all of it in general. Um, and I really like that until it just devolves into a regular Matrix film for a lot of it. But I, I think it has enough like interesting ideas. But with Scream, I think it has it does better with just going. Oh yeah, it's definitely it's like it, it's a lot more bitter and and talking mad shit about like you know it doesn't stop being bitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean it's a little on the nose, but. A lot of the screen movies are on the nose. Yeah, where everything gets unveiled and everything. So. Why you hear about like why it is and all that stuff. Um, it's an interesting thing, I think. Also, and I think this one follows through with it pretty well. Also, but I'm interested in hearing what the articles were. But back before Blumhouse had a newsletter, they would send out um, via email, and um, and it would they would have like editorials with like just different things and stuff like that. And uh, one film critic, William Bibiani, and his wife, um, who's also a writer, uh, both wrote editorial. I mean, they were constant editorial writers for for the the the, um, the newsletter. But uh, I guess William Bibiani and her both wrote a separate article, and he wrote she wrote how Scream 
is super feminist and the craft isn't as feminist as people think. Hmm. And, and they're like, Sally, whenever the newsletter like stopped, you know, with anything, if you write for another website or like somebody right. that holds your stuff, if they like, and this is William Bibliani's wife, William Bibliani and his wife. Both oh, wrote, wrote this. Yeah, article. one wrote one, one wrote the other one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, uh, if you write for a website and they go down or whatever, and they like delete all the articles, unless you have a backup on your hard drive, like that's gone to the ether. You know, like the article gets deleted from existence, basically. Right. You know, so I guess they got lost both the articles. But I want to write into the show just to hear exactly you know what they have to say because. I always think that's interesting. And more I think about it, I see where it's coming from, where it's like, yeah, it's like Scream is because um, this is a spoiler, the new one. But with the previous Screams, like all of it's about how like it's usually like angry men, right. and, like blaming women for their problems <laughs> and stuff, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, well, it's because of your whore mom and because <laughs> you're a fucking whore like your mom and all this, you know. But also has these strong female characters and all this stuff. And it's about that like masculinity come out on and everything. Top, I guess. Yeah. yeah, right. And then the craft is like, oh, it's women power, but it's like actually kind of like a toxic film from what I can, you know. It's not as, as feminist as people usually take it. I mean, I like the craft. Oh, yeah, craft is good. But like this thing's like, oh, it's like it carries this banner of feminism it's like man maybe not so much i'd love to hear what, what they had to say about that but anyways yeah let's hear your opinion it's a little sidetrack yeah is that uh whammons the please. new scram 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 yeah the new scram is pretty good um i love the movie within a movie sturb <laughs> sturb scram sturb scram sturb scram haven't you watched the sturb trilogy it's a sturb um now, what we can talk about is something. Also, I want to apologize for last week, guys. We had a shorter episode because, uh, and there's a couple things where it uh, wasn't that much shorter. It wasn't that much shorter, but we definitely didn't go deep in a fatal exam. Not like we could. We talked. There's very no briefly, way to. We tried, but also I was going through coughing jags because I'm still getting over the the, uh, the the chest cold I had. Yeah, he was doing pretty. Rough. So, so I, I want to apologize to you guys that we didn't take a deeper dive in anything there. I didn't want you guys to get annoyed by me coughing off mic. Um, but one thing that we talked about last week, but now you can say your opinions on, because you hadn't seen it at the time, is the trailer for X. Oh, hell yeah. Now oh, you've seen man. the trailer for X a couple of times because it played with Now Scream I get also. a little stiffy every time I see it. Like, I am ready for that movie. And I was so stoked because it's one of those movies I'm like, man, it'd be really nice if we could, like, go as a group and bring Paige along. But she's kind of finished. She's picky about her horror movies. Mm-hmm. And, like, she loves, like, Texas Chainsaw and stuff like that, but she gets tired of, like, the, the regular slashers over and over mm-hmm. again. And I get that. But uh, the trailer for X came on while we were watching the really dumb ghost hunting thing, <laughs> as, as usual. And uh, I just left it on just to see her reaction. And she's like, wow, that looks like it could be really good. And yeah. I'm like, yes! <laughs> yes, it does look like it could be really good. I just love seeing A24 putting out something so sleazy. Oh, yeah, it looks sleazy. <laughs> They're just going to make their eyes come out of their fucking skull. Yeah. Um, I, I like, you know, people are, I mean, the, the, the common idea is like A24 just puts out a bunch of pretentious art shit, which they do put out a lot of it. But, I mean, they're just an independent you know, company. They just right. put out films in general. And so they have good taste. It just happens to be that it's like a lot of the stuff they put out is like these art housey kind of like pretentious bullshit films a lot of the yeah. time. But it's like, because they're independent film, they just they put out so much, but just 
people never think about it. So seeing them to do something like so sleazy like this is well, no, you know, I think it was last year they came out with that comedy. I'm trying to remember which actor who was in it. Who the fuck was it? They they did a comedy movie. They done they done a few comedy films. Yeah, in years. There's a big big they, actor. They one a lot, but was it did... Adam Sandler in it? I don't remember. He was like a dad or something. Uh, it ain't uncut gems. It's not uh, that. <laughs> it's a comedy. What's the one with Joaquin Phoenix? Oh no, uncle. but I heard that one was great. Yeah. So, but fuck me, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Fuck you. <laughs> Wasting time. All right. Um. Well, we'll start getting into it about uh, 2021, I guess. All right. We've got a lot to go over. We don't have a trailer, so we're gonna make one right now. <laughs> here, we, here we go again. <laughs> 2021 wrap up. That's all I got. <laughs> Base explosion. There you go. <laughs> um. All right. Well, before we get into our discussion of horror films and all that stuff, and <coughs> do we so, want to talk so about some of the top films that aren't horror first? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you go first. Okay, so these are my top ten favorite movies of <clears throat> the last year. And now I was gonna write like little reviews for them. So like, I if we did talk about it, I wouldn't get sidetracked. We talk about each one like for fucking ever or anything. But just gonna go through the list and just like, have a little statement of each one. Yeah. Um, ten through two, they're all on even ground. Okay. Like, I don't understand how people do, like, top ten lists, and it's like, well, nine is better than ten, and eight's better than nine. No, they're just it's like so how, many like, variables. What, what the, yeah, you know? It's like, so, ten... All mine these are, have, yeah, all mine these have are, no organization yeah, either. So. All these are recommendations. All these are recommendations, but my number one favorite is my number one favorite film of the year. <clears throat> but everything else I say, check out. So, number ten is Summer of Soul. Okay. Which is... The directorial debut of Questlove. Oh, I didn't see that one. It's on Hulu. It's a documentary. Um, Oh, okay. Questlove, for anybody who doesn't know, is the drummer and de facto leader of The Roots. And this is the first movie he's directed. It's a documentary about um, the Harlem Cultural Festival, I think it's called. It's 1969. And it was like six weeks long. Every weekend was a different musical genre. And... um, it was the same. It got completely overshadowed because it was the same summer as Woodstock, and um, it was this whole thing of a celebration of like black culture and being black in America, which at the time was, I mean, it's still rough, but it was very rough at that time. You know, civil rights and yeah, it, unfortunately, it was a rough, it's rough never decade been easy. with everything, right? And um, but like BB King, Stevie Wonder, uh, Sly and the Family Stone. Gladys Knight and the Pips, like they had all these people performing there, and the footage was never released until like it was refounded recently by Questlove, and he made this documentary, mm-hmm. and it's his first film called A Questlove John, <laughs> just like how you have like a Spike Lee joint, <laughs> Questlove John. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, Summer of Soul, it's a great documentary. Uh, number nine is Suicide Squad. <laughs> I don't like put comic movies there, but I just had so much fun with that film. Um, the Power of the Dog is my number eight. Um, I don't know if I, 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 so many people are like, oh, this is like the best movie of the year. And when I first saw it, I was like, ah, it's pretty good. But then like I as much as I came back to that movie, the power of the dog, it just, 
It's so good. It's on what Netflix. What is Power of the Dog about? The Power of the Dog is Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst. And okay. it's a Western set in 1920. And Benedict Cumberbatch and Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. And Jesse Plemons are brothers. They're, they're, they're ranch owners. They're wealthy. Uh, Jesse Plemons is moving along with the times. Right? He's He's... It's like, all right, the West is done. Like, I'm moving on my life and everything like that. But Ben Dick Cumberbatch is kind of a relic of the past. Like, he's like this very masculine cowboy type, you know. Well, Jesse Plemons meets this widow that owns a hotel that they're staying overnight, played by Kristen Dunst, and she has a teenage son. Um, and he falls in love with her. They're going to get married. He moves her into the house with him and Ben Dick Cumberbatch. And um, Benedict is not happy about it. <laughs> okay. And he's gaslighting her and, like, doing, like, he's not being, like, directly, like, terrible, terrible to her. Like, where he's being, like, physically abusive or anything like that, but definitely emotionally abusive in a very passive, like, well, it's way. Well, you see Benedict Cumberbatch do something that's not him, like, that good guy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's a really great film and stuff like that. And he makes fun of the son because the son is very effeminate. And it's a statement on what masculinity is for the west and toxic masculinity is like you know the culture of taking in westerns and all this and seeing yeah. archetypes in western films like the john wayne types and being like oh i'm the masculine like rodeo type and taking those and deconstructing it down of what masculinity is or was in the west and how we digest it um it's a really really great film it's beautifully shot um, and it's a slow burn film it's the difference between a slow movie and a slow burn film a slow movie is a movie that's just slow and nothing's happening, right? It just drags on. The slow burn is a movie that's slowly paced, but it's still giving you information. Yeah. It's, it's like the definition of a slow burn for this movie. Because by the end, you look back at all the pieces, all these like little things you were getting, and you're like, holy shit. Like, oh. And, you, and my mind would just keep on going back to these like little parts and everything like that. And that movie got released directly to Netflix. Um, and it's great. The Power of the Dog. Um, but yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are all amazing in it. It's a great film. Um, my number seven was Nobody. Okay, I still didn't watch that. Ah, uh, Nobody's great. If you would have told me that <laughs> that um, that an action movie starring Bob Odenkirk <laughs> would be great <laughs> as as the action hero was going to be good, I would have laughed in your face. Even though I love Bob Odenkirk, I've been like, what? But it's it's. One of the best action movies since John Wick, and it's a really, really fun movie, and you should watch it. I think it's on Hulu to watch now. Is it on Hulu? Yeah. Okay. I might go check it out. Um, Six was Last Night in Soho. Still haven't watched it. <laughs> I love Edgar Wright. Um, a lot of people, this got kind of... Uh, Mixed reviews? A little bit. It's got like a 70-some percent of Rotten Tomatoes. I can see why some people don't connect to it, but I think it's a really good film that's... A ghost story with a lot of De Palma influence, um, which is always a big plus for me if it's De Palma influenced. Yeah. Um, as well, it's uh, uh, I think it's a movie that has a good statement about being uh, the problems with being nostalgic about a decade. Like, yeah. Like 80s nostalgia, anybody? Uh-huh. <laughs> like like, uh-huh. like uh-huh. the dangers of being like so obsessed with the decade and not fucking moving on and like doing a past, you know, God. 
pushing forward with a you know future or something new, right? Yeah. It's like we beat the 80s to death over the last seven years. It's like, let's move the fuck on, guys. And this is like, you know, uses the same, the same mirror with the 60s and everything. And it's a really good film. Edgar Wright is trying new stuff and going out of his comfort zone. Um, my number five, I know we're going to talk about later, so I'll just say the name, Psycho Gore Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's coming up in mine too. And I was I was trying to keep horror movies off my top ten list because we were going to talk about it, but that's like the one genre film I still kept on there. And I guess last night Soho is also. But um, number four is Nightmare Alley. Yeah, you Nightmare. were talking about that one. I uh, love Nightmare Alley. It's a noir by Guillermo del Toro and co-written by him and his now wife, Kim Morgan, who is a uh, Amazing film journalist and film noir uh, aficionado. And and it's really, really good. It's dark. Love it. Um, number three I talked about last week, uh, Tragedy Macbeth. Uh, Joel Cohen. Yeah. Doing his Denzel solo Washington. stuff. Just doing uh, – your, your mom watched it. I yeah, saw, she I loved saw, it. I saw her post on Facebook. Yeah. Which she's a big Shakespeare fan. Though. Oh, my yeah. God. Because she's an English. <laughs> right. And uh, she did a the, the theater teacher and everything. Yeah, sure. Um, it was like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number two is The Card Counter, which is the new movie from Paul Schrader. Oh, okay. Um, Paul Schrader has been having a comeback over the last few years. Um, his movie b- before this first reformed, starring Ethan Hawke, that was my favorite movie of 2018. And, um, He's having a resurgence. You know, he was known for writing Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. All and that. Last Temptation of Christ. But he, he's also been director for a long time. Also directing things like Light Sleeper and uh, American Gigolo. Um, but he's, he, he's had a resurgence recently because for a while there he was just putting out like direct-to-DVD movies. And now he's like back in a big way. And it's a movie starring Oscar Isaac as a ex-military prisoner. He got arrested because of things he did. Yeah. All in the military. Um, and now he's a professional gambler, more of a card counter, so he cheats. <laughs> right. Um, and he just goes from casino to casino and hotel to hotel, playing cards and making money. <clears throat> and that's all he does. And he talks about, like, the very first line of the movie is, like, I, I had, when I was a kid, I was afraid of isolation. It's like, whenever I got put in prison, I took to isolation pretty well, better than I thought I would. But then even after he's out of prison, he lives this life of isolation where he's going place to place, playing cards, you know, whatever. And along his journey, he, he meets this young guy, this young man who, who's like, hey, I know who you are. Hey, uh, you served with this guy, played by Willem Dafoe. And uh, because of him, my family got wrecked. I want revenge on him. And I want you to help me. And Oscar Isaac's like, uh, that's a bad idea, but I want to take you under my wing. I'm going to show you how to like car- count cards and all this stuff. And just like all of Paul Schrader's films, it's just a, a movie that's about isolation, a character that's isolated and trying to find a purpose in his life, no matter if it's the morally right thing to do or not. And no matter how apprehensible things are that they do mm-hmm. or how their mind works, He's so good at putting you inside the mind of the character and the body of the character. And uh, The Card Counter is the same way. It's a fantastic movie. And it was in Al Theater so fast. A24 put that one out as well. And uh, it's just really, really good. You can rent it on Amazon for like six bucks. And then my number one is Pig. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you. Uh, Pig is my favorite movie of the year. At a time whenever we have um, (laughs) shit for the past six years, um, we've lived 
with every situation, especially over the last few years, it has been fight or flight. And sadly, it's the former normally. Yeah. <laughs> with everything. So much aggression over everything. That it's it's kind of a relief to get a movie that's so empathetic about everything, every situation. And who knew with a movie starring Nick Cage looking for his lost pig <laughs> would be empathetic. Would, would be about Nick Cage being the stoic character that's just full of understanding, even whenever he figures out everything. It's not John Wick. It's not a guy who's like, my animal got harmed or stolen. I'm going to go start shooting people up. <laughs> like, yeah. He doesn't rage cage out. It's this character that goes, and every time he has interaction, even whenever he finds out who did what or whatever, it's nothing violent. It's nothing angry. It's nothing aggressive. It's even understanding with that. And something that, that it's a movie that I feel that we needed now where it is about loss and mourning and moving on, but it's also about realizing where you are in life and what you wanted to do with your life and why are you not doing that with your life. Right. You know, there's scenes of being like, oh, you want to do this. Why, why didn't you? Oh, well, the money wasn't there. It's like, yeah, but neither was the happiness. And this movie is empathetic to every character and has respect for every character and has respect for every person he comes across. And it's a really touching film. And I'll never look at a specific song that's in the movie, but Bruce Springsteen the same ever again. <laughs> but you can watch Pig right now on Hulu. It's on Hulu for free. Um, and then uh, uh, the only honorary mentions that I have is um, one that, that I didn't put on the list just because it got released to the public at, near the beginning of the year, but it got lumped with the films of 2020. Yeah. It's Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, that's my number one. Actually. Oh, is it? Yeah. I, I didn't put it on my list because I lump it with 2020 stuff because it was put out to all the critics and everything that was on for the like, the Academy Awards with oh, everything damn. that was 2020 and all that, that stuff. Stipulation. And that's the only reason. But if you've never seen Judas and the Black... Well, it's not. It's just a stipulation I gave myself. Okay. Uh, Judas and Black Messiah is uh, amazing, and you'll talk about more about it in a little bit, I'm sure. Um, yeah, because honestly... Unhorror related movies, I rarely watch because yeah. I suck. So my list for that is pretty short. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, and then the horror movies we're gonna be talking a little bit. Also, Green Knight was really good. Yep, that's another one. On the um, list. and uh, 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 the Sparks Brothers, which is a documentary from Edgar Wright that came out this year. Did not watch that. Uh, about the band Sparks. It's a little long in the tooth. But it's really really entertaining. It's not as bad as the Beatles one. <laughs> that thing's like nine hours long. Yeah, exactly. And, and you hate the Beatles. I sure do. <laughs> That's right, Chad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it was a, still a pretty good, pretty good year generally for movies. Oh, that's the other one I want to mention is Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Did you see that movie? Nope. Did you see you didn't see Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar? No, is it good? That may be the funniest movie of last year. Okay. Um, um it's one of those movies that got dumped onto Hulu because um, who's in it? It's Kristen Wiig, and um, I can't remember. It's her writing partner. They both wrote Bridesmaids right. together, and they wrote the 2016 Ghostbusters together. Oh. <laughs> and they wrote and star in this together, but they're like these women in their 40s um, that lose their job. And they're like, we're going to go down to Florida to this place called Vista Del Mar. And they go down there, and uh, it turns out there's a supervillain that's trying to uh, use these – toxic mosquitoes to <laughs> for a super evil plan and to get caught up in it and stuff dude I, it, it is so fucking funny <laughs> it is so fucking funny 
Um, and it just flew under the radar, and I feel like it's going to get cult following over the years. Like it's just All right, like I a, need to hop on that bandwagon. Then. Yeah. <laughs> Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. It's great. Yep. All right, what do you got? All right, so non-horror-related stuff. Uh, probably my number one is Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's the story of somebody I have tons amount of respect for, Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. and it is uh, directed by Shaka King, um, and it's also another Jesse Plemons movie where Jesse Plemons plays one of the most piece of shit people <laughs> ever on earth. <laughs> so, um, but it's the story of Fred Hampton and him starting the uh, Black Panthers movement and everything like that, and going around and uh, I don't know, like, like from. Accounts and everything like that, they say it's one of the most accurate depictions of that time period ever. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that was definitely my number one. Yeah, it's a great film. And it's, uh, you watch HBO Max, they put it on yeah, there briefly, it's on HBO but now Max. it's there like full time. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic film. It's just, it, it came out lumped with everything else in 2020. You yeah, it kind of got lost in the mix. Yeah, to get released because of, because of COVID and the theater shutdowns and then they dumped it on hbo max you know as as their thing of putting new movies coinciding with the theatrical releases um so for general audiences we didn't get until february but still made the cut for all the award season stuff and everything so which i was that's why i didn't put on my top 10 that's why i didn't put on my top 10 that's my fault no that's not your fault (laughs) um green knight yeah was uh uh, it's the uh, if you don't know the Green Knight Arthurian legend, uh, it's about a knight that comes to challenge the king and all of his knights and blah blah blah. And, it, and he's a tree, and he's a tree. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, "What? How many years was it? Like he'll deliver the same blow." Uh, is it five? It's five years or something like that, and uh, he'll deliver whatever. Or is it bo- just a year? It's a year. It's just a year. I think it's just yeah. a year. Um, and uh, he'll deliver the same blow to whoever can beat him in battle. So he doesn't even fight back, and the dude cuts his head off. Yeah. And then he picks his head up, puts it back on. He's like, all right, see you in a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, no! <laughs> but it is very accurate to the writings uh, of the Arthurian legend. So... It's another one of those movies that you'll probably watch the first time and be like, what the fuck am I watching? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you... I, I, I guess the accuracy is something I really appreciate about the movie, mm-hmm. is that it's like they didn't stir away, even though in modern times that is very hard for us to put that idea together. Yeah. And why would you do that? But whatever. It's directed by what, David Lowry? I think? David Lowry, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, same guy who directed um, Ghost Story. Ghost Story, yeah. He also directed uh, The Affleck. Old Man and the Gun, which is also really good. Yeah. Which is Rob Redford's quote unquote last film, even though he showed up in like a Marvel movie afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> but that was supposed to be like this great send off to Robert Redford. And it's a really good movie uh, that kind of flew under the radar. But uh, then, like, I think the same year, the following year, it's just like he revised one of his characters that was in one of those earlier Marvel movies, he came back in Endgame. Right. And just like, great. Robert did it for the money. <laughs> Thanks, asshole. Um, this is Kiss's last tour. <laughs> um, Without the makeup. <laughs> yeah. Fucking um, yeah, French Dispatch was another 
uh, one on my list. For, oh, you saw French Dispatch? Yeah, I watched yeah, it. Yeah, I, and, I like French Dispatch. It, it, it's a, I feel that it's a little hard to follow. Yeah, dialogue wise, the stories go written, but I gotta tell you, because I saw I, theaters, so I didn't have subtitles, and it's just like so, it's just verbal diarrhea. Or sorry, verbal masturbation. It but is like so much. Or just like it's so much is being said in such a particular way that I'm just like, okay, I get it, Wes. <laughs> yeah. I will say I absolutely love Benicio del Toro in it. I, I think the first story and the last story are the best. Yeah. I think that the first story of Benicio del Toro and Adrian Brody. That is a fantastic story. the best. Story. Whenever, uh, Benicio del Toro is a prisoner who uh, was a painter, or he still is a painter. Yeah, he's a painter. But his, then... his, his muse is a prison guard. Who will have relations with him, but kind of hates him. Yeah, but hates his guts. Um, and then the last story is uh, um, Jeffrey Wright is a food critic for the paper. Yep. And he's doing an editorial on police food. Yep. Like, it's got to be food that's, like, easy to carry, doesn't make too much of a mess. You can eat on a stakeout. You know, there's, like, this whole, like, thing about, like, the, the specific kind of foods they can eat. And then it turns into the commissioner's son <laughs> gets kidnapped. And he has to go with the police as they're trying to find who kidnapped the commissioner's son. And it turns this whole debacle. I, the middle story, I wasn't a fan of. And I think it's because I just don't like Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, I, I don't I, get that. I don't know what the fuck it is. I don't think he's a bad actor. I just don't like him <laughs> i just don't like <laughs> timothy chalamet i think he's a good actor maybe it's just because he always plays these like torpy ass characters that like have this like level of smugness about them it could be which is this character of french dispatch also <laughs> and i just he just annoys me i don't know i don't know what it is i, I, think get, he's a good I actor. get it though um and then i have two more that are not horror okay uh, the other one is an animated film, The Mitchells versus the Machines. Yeah, that's a really good one. I died laughing. And the animation style is so interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting, and it really keeps you keeps your eyes focused. But I mean, you have such a cast like Danny McBride, Fred Armisen, mm-hmm. Conan O'Brien, mm-hmm. um, the other guy. <laughs> No, but it, it is just, it is one of those, like, I refused to watch it for so long when it first came out, because I'm like, it's another fucking Pixar bullshit shit that I don't give a shit about. It's not Pixar, oh, it's not even Disney. It's not, it's, isn't it DreamWorks? <laughs> it is DreamWorks. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. I think. But just some of the callbacks in there that, like, they acknowledge the slightly older crowd watching it. Yeah, right, because it's a story about a girl who's just graduated high school, she's about to go to college. Yeah, film school. And, uh, yeah, she's going to film school. And it's actually, you know, has a lot of film references in it. She's a big, like, Kurosawa fan and stuff. Mm-hmm. And her dad, who's, like, this, like, manly, like, hunter kind of guy, um, he wants to go, like, he is, like, a typical dad. <laughs> yeah, he is the, like, dad dad. <laughs> yeah, he wants to go and do, like, a family trip, one last family trip, d- dropping her off at college. Right, is that where right. that's that, that's the ending point? Yeah. Um, and so on the way there, it turns out uh, that an Apple type company, yeah, uh, Pal, yeah, their new cell phone 
launch went horribly wrong and machines have taken over. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it is. And Fred Armisen is one of the evil robots. Yeah. Uh, Deborah Bot 5000. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it is hilarious. And Eric Andre and is Eric the Andre voice. is the owner of the company. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it, if it's one of those movies you sat back and you're like, oh, maybe I'll watch this in my spare time or something. I implore you to take your time and go watch it. My, my only problem with this is, is, is it's so much. It there's like a visually ton of stuff like it's so on. much happening like at 100 miles a minute um, that it can be a little overwhelming. Is like one of my negatives to say about it, but it's a really good movie. It's heartwarming, and I think that it's really funny. It's genuinely funny and well put together, greatly animated, and very yep. well written. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last movie was actually kind of a surprise to me because I did not think I would give two shits about it but i ended up watching it because Paige wanted to see it so bad and that was spencer i still haven't seen it i want to it is interesting yeah i hear it it's, so is it true it's like a ghost story i don't without, know without a ghost would... where it feels like she's being haunted by because how it got put in me it's like it's a ghost story without a ghost almost like rebecca the, the hitchcock film rebecca where it's like there's no ghost in that but it's a ghost story well it's where she's haunted by the responsibilities and and, and being stuck within this family and stuff kinda, it's kind of like driving her nuts right it, yeah. it is definitely like a like a delve into almost madness it seems mm-hmm. and you know she'll find herself talking to Anne Boleyn or something like that you know and uh obviously you know it's a royal family that saw that coming yeah but um the the dynamic of the characters is the interesting part about that movie because like prince Charles, it's prince charles right Mm -hmm. yeah her husband yeah yeah charles like number one oh he's a piece of shit like the whole all of them are but they're all they're all terrible (laughs) they're all terrible people um fuck you england come on our podcast Um, yeah come on our podcast (laughs) Queen, <laughs> my my liege, um, but uh, the, I I was really impressed by uh, oh god I can't think Kristen Kristen Stewart Kristen Stewart thank mm-hmm. you I want I kept wanting to say Bell and that's totally wrong but Kristen Stewart really impressed me because the only real experience I've had of her acting was in um, Twilight. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hated it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And in this one, she's just she really nails what you think is going on with Diana, and it it's kind of an emotional roller coaster to watch. Right. Like, I I don't want to like tell too many details because a lot of the story is about the conversations mm-hmm. and the interactions between people. Right. So, yeah. But but it's 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 actually really good for something I literally give no shits about Mm -hmm. like i was surprised because i'm like it would be like blaze somebody completely killed everyone in the royal family i'd be like okay (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) and uh it's like do you feel bad about it no no (laughs) i i have no feelings on that at all but this movie was very well done um, yeah, I've been mean, watching it. There's been a few times, you know, because I was trying to catch up on last few last minute movies, and just because of work, I haven't been able to. But that was one of the ones I was going to watch before I, I did my list and everything, but just couldn't couldn't make the time for it. Yeah, well, I rec- I recommend you watch it. It, it it's well done. Yeah, I want to. It's um, well done. Kristen Stewart, just like Robert Pattinson. Um, oh yeah, they both have shined been choosing, after Twilight. Yeah, they both, you know, unlike Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. That that that. 
kind of got trapped in like the Harry Potter image. Like it never feels like he, he and he's done weird projects, but it just never feels like he's been able to outrun that image of being Harry Potter, like that, you know, being that. Yeah, I mean, Daniel where, Radcliffe's had like Swiss Army Man, like good yeah. movies and stuff. Horns, like, horns. Yeah, like you know, I like him. I like Daniel. Yeah, Radcliffe, I like him. Uh, but I, wish, I agree with you. He will. He can't break that image. No, everyone Robert will Pattinson, see him. Kristen Stewart. I think because people were so ready to forget Twilight. First of all, yeah, for sure. And that they so quickly went and just started making weird films afterwards. Because Kristen Stewart went into like Personal Shopper and stuff like that, like really. Weird art films also, and and so Robert Pattinson, you know, right after Twilight, he worked with David Cronenberg for two movies, you know, doing these other things and working with the uh, Safdie brothers and doing and the Lighthouse, stuff, doing the Lighthouse with Robert Eggers, and now he's Batman, which they just said is going to be almost three hours long. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that trailer made me laugh I, really, I, really hard. I think it's going to be good. I'm excited. I'm for not it. saying it's going to be bad, but it's just. Yes, it's like oh well, god. No, well, yeah, because I think the line is supposed to be funny because this is like justice. That's that's what it is. Justice. <laughs> Whatever just... he says, that, that's that's what it is. <laughs> I don't know. So it's like there's just <laughs> you and me, just us, <laughs> just and us. then there's doing the right thing. And that's justice. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah. What else so, you got? <laughs> Uh, those are all my favorite movies that were not horror. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, no runner-ups or anything. Like that that's that's all you got. Nope, that's all I got. All right. I it wasn't. Uh, I it's funny because I, I found myself watching a lot more bigger name stuff. Sure. Than I expected because, yeah. uh, you know, theaters were kind of touch and go for a while there. So. Uh, I can give Cruella the biggest thumbs down ever. Oh yeah, my uh, dishonorable uh, mention. Um, yeah, my worst film of the year is either uh, Black Widow or Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, because both of them. Like, Did you watch Cruella? No. Okay, it might be worse. I'm just no. saying. <laughs> no, I, I can't bring myself to watch that. Don't. It's it's horrible. I just, I don't it is so time. bad. Um. Black Widow is just like you know what's worse than a bad movie is a movie that just middle of the road. Yeah, just no real reason for it. To yeah, exist. which pisses me off more. It's like this came out too late. This is pointless, and there's no energy in it. Like, yeah, it's, it's like just, Black Widow died. Yeah, now we now we finally give a shit. Like she should have had her movie like a long time ago. Yeah, like, before she died. Yeah, that's a character they just shit all over it's for like, like so long, and then oh, they're like, real? oh no, we need it because the way they did Iron Man was fine. Yeah, you know, it's like okay, let's do three Iron Man movies, and then he's gonna be in Civil War, and then he's we're gonna die. And, yeah. And, oh, whoops. Endgame. Yeah, but you already said Black Widow died. All. Hey, listen, uh, listen. Everybody I wants fucked to see, it up. I'm every, sorry. Everybody that wants to see Endgame has seen Endgame because that's like the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. That's Unless true. Avatar still somehow is, which makes no fucking sense to me. Still, <laughs> it's like no, it's still the biggest movie of all time. Like James Cameron must have put in like five billion dollars. <laughs> I feel of like his own money. <laughs> to he he drugged <laughs> the world at some point. That movie is every ounce of the meaning of fine it is <laughs> Avatar there is, is nothing fine nothing stand out about it it is it looked for the time it was a beautiful movie visually like the gra- like the, the whole reason why it took so long for him to make that movie is because waiting for the the, the technology, technology to catch up yeah and for that time it was like holy shit nothing looks like this but the story is just so bland and it stars sam worthington who's one of the 
boringest, most white bread actors yeah. fucking ever. Stale white bread. <laughs> yeah, it it is boo. But that yeah. didn't come out in 2021. So Cruella, yeah. fuck you. Yeah, you wasted Afterlife. my goddamn time. Fuck that movie for just being a waste of fucking time and everything that's wrong with nostalgia nowadays. Um, I'm sure there are bad movies to watch other than that, but those are the two that stick out where I'm just like, this is studio problems this is a problem with like turning a dollar yeah based exactly. on either like you're gonna watch it anyways or hey remember this and yeah that's very cynical yeah. and i don't respect such laziness oh and absolutely <laughs> the studio not. system doing things absolutely like that not. so all right well let's get into our favorite horror films of the year yeah the yep um do you want to start or do you want me to start um I'll start this time because you started last time. Okay. Uh, and mine are in no particular order. Yeah. These are just some of the best ones of the year. Uh, Candyman. Okay. Right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I loved it. Uh, Nia DaCosta, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Nia DaCosta. She did a fantastic job on it. It is definitely, um, it doesn't feel redundant in the Candyman series. Right. Like a farewell to the flesh and everything like that. It's just like, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah. But this f- kind of brought new life to Candyman, and that was something special because Candyman is a fantastic movie. Yeah, the first one's one of the best. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> is. It's, it, like Hellraiser, Candyman's one of those movies. Well, thank you, Clive Barker. Yeah. But it's one of those movies where it's like, oh, it's on? Guess I'll watch it. Oh, yeah, you know? for sure. All the time. Um, you want to take turns, like do one and one? Well, yeah, 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 we can do that. Okay. Um, but I had Candyman on my list also, of course. Um, going back to like what I said about like Ghostbusters Afterlife just a few minutes ago, and then way back what we said about like Scream. Right. The new Scream. Scream is that this is a soft reboot or a requel, like this retcons two and three and is canon with the first Candyman film. And whenever you have a requel, if you're going to do it, which – is the popular thing to do now. The only way you can make it work is if you're taking the mythology that's been set in the movie that you're requeling, and then you're taking that, you're putting a spin on it, and then you're progressing that world further, right? Mm-hmm. If you're just retreading ground, it doesn't work. So you have to have something to say and expand this universe, right? Right. Like Blade Runner 2049. All right, we aren't just remaking Blade Runner. We're gonna make we're gonna explore more of this world and and what all these things are in this world. And say that with Candyman, we take the mythology of Candyman, we actually make an interesting twist to who he is and what he stands for that connects into generational. It's not just Daniel Robidal. Right. Right. And without spoiling anything. But it's about generational suffering. And racism and how this legend encompasses all that pain and suffering that even for two white bread motherfuckers like us oh yeah like- <laughs> that will never understand that personally right the movie is good enough at reflecting the pain that the filmmakers know from their experience heritage yeah. and from their experiences and from what they deal with daily because it's you know, directed by a black woman and written by her, Jordan Pill, another writer who's black. And, uh, and it, it's, it just, by the 
end credits. Well, the end credits play with the original like theme from the movie, and it's like the shadow puppet show of like all oh, these yeah. different incidences that have happened over years, stuff like that. It's a haunting end credits, and I, it's just everything that it says and the ways it says it, and it, it's not only talking about generational abuse, but talking about gentrification, which was touched a lot on the original movie yeah. and stuff. But that was a white director that did it and stuff. It just feels a lot more personal. The only problem I have with the new Candyman is that it has the Jordan Pill problem where nobody reigned Jordan Pill in and there's a particular point in the script where things start getting a little wacky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it I feels a little out of place. Um, we're just like, okay, this is a little silly. But uh, they, they're, they're able to bring it back before the end of the movie and everything. Um, but like, it's just that Jordan Pill problem where nobody's like, Jordan, let, let's not do it that. Like, let's focus a little here. It's like, no, well, what about this? And it's like, oh, you're Jordan Pill. Fuck, like, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Candyman is great. It's a haunting film. And it's effective in its message and what it does with the mythology of that character. Right. While still being very respectful of that character. And I like the use of Tony Todd in it. Oh, yeah. So the it very thing slight. is that Tony Todd isn't it's in more, it a lot at all. It's more of a... Ta- yeah. a hat tilt yeah because if he was and especially if you watch a movie the whole message of the film would have been completely distracted by the fact of tony todd being there the whole time right right so um it's great it's uh, it's uh probably my favorite horror movie of last year i'd have to say the same yeah um let's just get it out of the back out of the way right right uh malignant okay <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we have slightly differing opinions. I love Malignant. Malignant's great. I don't hate it. I just Malignant is so fucking fun. This is genre filmmaking on a big budget. Um, And by genre filmmaking, I mean like 80s and 70s genre filmmaking. This is a Frank Kennelauder film on steroids um, put out by a director that just wants to cut loose for once. Um, it's like, you know, yeah, I did Saw, I did The Conjuring, you know, I, I, I went and worked for the studios for a bit and did a Fast and Furious movie and did an Aquaman film. James Wan was basically just like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do a remake of Basket Case. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, this movie, for an hour or so, you may be like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, is this good? But if that last 30 minutes doesn't hook you completely of just going, this is so fucking wild. I can't believe he got away with this. <laughs> it is so fucking fun, the last 30 minutes of it. And it's able to not only – you can see the influence from Frank Hanelotter, but also from like William Lustig, uh, some a lot of maniac cop vibes and other genre filmmakers. There's a very Fulci and Argento kind of sprinkling around everything. And it's just him making a really dumb, purposefully dumb genre schlock film. And it is a total drive-in movie on a huge budget. <laughs> and Warner Brothers is like, what's the worst that could happen? Then he put it out, and I felt like WB is like, holy shit, what did we do? <laughs> what did we do? We gave him too much power. And I'm happy because it seemed like he had fun making it. And I think that movie pays off in its silliness and is completely aware of what it is. So That's I fair. say Malignant is one of the more interesting fun films of last year. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the next one I had, uh, I've actually talked about it before, was The Power. Okay. Um. 
you know, a story about uh, during wartime in England when they were having to distribute uh, electricity throughout the cities Mm -hmm. uh, to keep up with energy problems. Um, And it's about a young nurse working in this hospital with a very checkered past uh, during the blackouts rolling through England at the time. And the way they play with the cinematography is very interesting, and it's very fun uh, to see. Um, and the the acting is definitely, uh, uh, I believe this star is Rose Williams, I think her name is. Okay. Uh, like, and she just really kills it. Like, the, you feel for her the entire time. You can feel how scared she is, and then transfers into how angry she is about it. So it is... Probably one of my favorites of last year. Nice. So, yeah, I still haven't seen it. Yeah, you. It's yeah. on Shutter. It is. Uh, I believe it's a Shutter exclusive now. Okay, cool. So it's definitely one to check out. Nice. All right. Um. So the next one I want to talk about it. I'll go into a Shutter exclusive original, and that's the amusement park. Did you see the amusement park? Ah uh, no, the George A. Romero one. Yeah. No, I still have not. It's taken George A. Romero's uh, a lost film from George A. Romero that he made back in nineteen seventy something. I think he made it before Dawn. I think he probably made it around Martin because the um, the main actor is also in Martin as well, the older man. And uh, I think it was he was hired by a company to make it, um, to make a, a film that was warning about like elderly abuse and like things that trials and tribulations like elderly go through and about like, you know, if, if you can, you should volunteer your time at a nursing home or whatever, you know, you should help out where you can. And so he made this movie <laughs> and it turned it in. And I guess they're just like, Oh my God. He, like, this is too much. Like we are going to release this. And it was lost for a long time. And what it is, is, um, it's this old man, and it all takes place in a theme park, like a carnival. And, um, yeah, each, each like, ride or, like, place in the carnival, like, reflects a different trial and tribulation that an elderly person goes through. Right. So, like, the bumper cars, like, they're driving around and stuff. And then, like, two of the bumper cars, like, wreck into each other. And then, like, a cop shows up, and it's like... Oh, well, clearly this old man is responsible because he doesn't have his glasses on. Do you have insurance? Well, I don't have a job. Oh, you don't have insurance then. Why are you <laughs> driving, you old piece of shit? <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, all these different things and stuff. And it's like, oh, well, you can't hold a job. Like, you had to buy your groceries. Oh, but now we're giving you money. The government gives you this much for your pension or your Social Security, but it's not enough to cover your grocery costs or all this stuff. There was a time about, like, oh, come here and you can get your prizes. And it's like, it's canes or, like, prosthetics or, like, whatever. It's like, your body's going to shit. And it gets pretty horrifying. Like, you know, you really feel, like, the struggles of, like, getting old. And it makes you go like, oh, my God, that's going to be terrible. And I hope I die soon. (laughs) And by the end of the movie, and the movie's only an hour long, and it's on Shudder, that that it's like, yeah, if you can, you know, because there's like an opening and a closing with the actor just being himself. He was just talking to the camera. Right. But he's just like, you know, if you can, you should volunteer your time to a nursing home sometime and help out, you know, those that that are in need. Actually, maybe you want to go and then do it. I never did, but... (laughs) But it may want to. 
<laughs> um, but it's a uh, lost Georgia Romero film, and for and for that alone, that we got a Georgia Romero movie after in twenty twenty one that was made in the nineteen seventies that the Georgia Romero Fund was able to restore and put out um, is awesome, and it's worth an hour of your time. So the amusement park. All right. Yeah. Uh, the other one I had on my list. Oh, man. Why did I already forget the name of that movie? Uh, we Need to Do Something. I haven't seen it. It is weird. It's a very strange movie. So it's this family that gets caught. Um, the, the, they're, it starts off, and the whole movie takes place within a bathroom. Okay. They never leave the bathroom because there's some natural disaster about to happen. They don't really specify, but the the little boy and the it's a family. Well, let me explain the family dynamic. There's a mom, a dad, a daughter who's like teenager and also has a girlfriend, and then there's a little boy who's just a little boy and you really don't give a shit about him. So <laughs> like most children, like most children, um, they are all locked in this bathroom uh because it's what they believe the most fortified room in their house the dad is obviously drinking Mm -hmm. uh he is a very like nasty person and you can tell that there's something going on with the mom by the way she uses her phone and everything like that so there's this very odd family dynamic going on in it uh, the kid is uh, like terrified that there's like uh i forget what he called it and in five or something like it's when two tornadoes meet okay. and become like a super tornado. Yeah, of course. Tear shit up. As, as if one tornado is not enough. Yeah. Or right. tor- two tornadoes. Two tornadoes. What if they wander twin the fuck out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what they believe it is. But then they notice, okay, there's a tree stuck in front of our door. Mm-hmm. None of them can break it. They're trying to get out. They are stuck in this bathroom. Okay. Trying to figure out what to do. Um, they like the dad gets to the point where he's like shove, trying to shove his son's head through the door and you could see like the the skin and the blood start going and obviously he doesn't make it <laughs> um but uh they're encountering like these weird like it's like is this a supernatural creature that's showing up here or is this family going insane right um but eventually, uh, well, I can't get say that because that'll give away a very fun part of the movie, uh, which involves death. Um, but something that surprised me about it is that there's a point where the supernatural entity talks. Oh. And I was like, why does that voice sound so familiar? Is it Danzig? No, cl- kind of close. Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but... It it was one of those movies I watched, and I'm like, I don't know how I felt about it. Like, yeah. did I like it? Did I not? But the longer I sat down and thought about it, the more I'm like, I haven't really seen something quite like it. Sure. So that's what kind of made it stand out to me. Cool. Yeah. So we need to do something. We need to do something. Yeah. I need, I need to check it out. That's what I need to do. Is that's watch what it. you need. <laughs> I need to watch it. Um, Jacob's Wife. Oh, yep, I knew that was coming. Have you watched it yet? I still haven't. God I really damn. need It's on to. Shutter now. Um, I rented it when it first came out before they put it on Shutter. Um, and I, I actually rented it when I was sick with COVID. 
And I loved it. It stars Barbara Cranton, who also produced it, and Larry Fezzedin. So two, two pillars of the horror genre, as is. Um, and Larry Fezzedin plays Jacob, who is a minister uh, in this small town. And Barbara Crampton plays Jacob's wife. And um, their marriage isn't going great. She's, uh, uh, she, I don't think she's fallen out of love with him, but like there's no passion in their marriage. And he's, you know, this kind of overbearing Christian type, like old school, like Christian kind of guy. And, you know, she's like the devoted housewife, but she's like lost herself. And they've been married for so long. You lose your identity. Yeah, you lose your identity, lose the passion, you know, just... She's middle-aged now, and she's lost, like, her sexuality. She doesn't feel like she's wanted, you know. She doesn't feel, like, attractive anymore or whatever. Well, an old flame of her comes into town. Um, she goes to hang out with them. They start, like, making out and stuff like that, and they're at this, like, old warehouse. They made up, like, this old warehouse. Little do they know, a vampire is staying in there. And the vampire attacks them and kills him and bites her. So now she's a vampire. Um, and it's this thing about her vampirism is making her refine herself. You know, she's starting to rediscover her sensuality. She's starting to feel attractive again. She's getting this confidence back. And it's this whole thing that's very personal. I guess of both because they're both very close friends in real life. And I guess Barbara Crampton found the script when it's getting shopped around one of the horror conventions she was at. She's been pushing to get this movie made for a long time. And it's made by the same director who directed... Uh, this is his second feature. His first feature was a movie called uh, Girl on the Third Floor, which mm-hmm. came out on Netflix starring CM Punk. And CM Punk is in this movie in a yeah, small role say, as well. Yeah, I was like, CM Punk's in both his movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the main character in that one, though, and he's got a small role in this one. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, he's developed so much from that first movie to this one. Um, and it's all practical effects, like all the gore and everything in it. And I think it's an interesting way to do the vampire myth, though. Of, of having this story, which Mark Crampton connected to because she's been married in real life for a long time and so has Larry Fezzedin, where just this thing about like getting to your middle ages and being married for like 20-some years yeah, and then just being like, well, the passion really isn't there anymore and I don't know if my spouse is disgusted by me or not and the spark isn't there anymore but I'd love to find it again and just knowing where you are at that time of your life and then rediscovering yourself and seeing your worth again. I really need to sit down and watch that movie. Yeah, and it's really, really good. And it's a fun film. There's a lot of violence. And, you know, there, there's there's some really good stuff in it. Um, and I really like Jacob's Wife a lot. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what this director does next. So, yeah. And I'll, I'll, it gets bonus points because it's Barbara Crampton. So Yeah. <laughs> She's awesome. And, and, I mean, they want to do it enough to where there's, like, a sex scene in the movie. And they're like, you know, it was just a big thing for me, like, being – because, you know, back in the 80s, like, she was never shy about, like, getting naked for things. Oh, hell like, no. Yeah, no. For, you know, like, Reanimator or, of course, From Beyond or, like, anything like that. She was always comfortable with her body where she's like, I think it's so important to have – to be comfortable enough to do a sex scene whenever you, you're in your 50s, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that and, and having this thing. So she said it was very empowering. Like, the whole experience of making the movie was very empowering for her. And uh, I give it a high recommendation. So, Jacob's Wife. You can watch a Shutter now. So, what you got? Uh, the next one I had was uh, 
God damn it. Oh, Seance. We talked about it before as well. We did an episode on it. Yeah. And uh, I, I just really enjoyed that movie. Really? Uh, I think it's fine. Uh, I really like the last 20 minutes of it. Yeah. I think everything else is kind of bland, but... It's kind of bland, yeah. but I I don't know. Like, it's... I, I guess I just kind of like the character dynamic in it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I like Simon Barrett. I, I, I think it was interesting on his first, like, full-feature directorial debut. Yeah, and um, should I give a summary since we've had an episode yeah, about it? Yeah, I mean, you could do a brief summary if you want. Yeah, it's about a young girl going to a boarding school that, uh, you know, has this very... Uh, tight click of mean girls Mm -hmm. and they are trying to convince her of this haunting but that the haunting may be real and it ends up leading them into some very interesting situations and uh, the girl starts slowly disappearing but it's not something supernatural doing it Mm -hmm. so it's uh it's a fun one to watch um to be honest i it it was funny because I actually struggled a little bit with the 2021 list. Oh, really? Yeah, I really did. Like, there wasn't, like, it was, like, a lot of stuff I didn't watch. Oh, yeah. And uh, the stuff I did, there was a lot I didn't like. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, when I was going through, like, on my list and everything like that, I just keep, you know, I keep track of what I watch and stuff like that. There's a lot that uh, um, I've watched a lot more than I did in 2020. Oh, yeah. Because sure. of everything, you know, with the pandemic and all that stuff, there just there wasn't a lot. I think that was everybody. Yeah. For you sure. know, so definitely watch a lot. And a lot of stuff got pushed back to this past year. And um, I don't know. It was I, – I saw a lot. But, you know, was, I didn't see – I didn't have a lot of bad or negativity. It was just a bunch of – it's like, oh, that's okay. Right. Um, is that all on Seance? Yeah, that was all yeah. on Seance. Yeah, Seance is okay. I think, I think you know, Simon Barrett uh, – it's not as clever as I'm used to Simon Barrett being – as a yeah. writer, and you know, this is the first movie he directed that's full length. He did like little things before, but um, I think I think it feels like him in the last twenty minutes. And that's when the movie gets interesting. But I think everything up until that point is just like whatever. Yeah, I um, could get that. You know, uh, my next one is Werewolves Within. I don't think I've even heard of that one. Werewolves Within stars Sam Richardson um, from. Uh, from Detroiters, and uh, I think you should leave. Oh hell <laughs> um, yeah! <laughs> um, he has a couple of the best segments, and I think you should leave. He's always announcing some weird competition. Okay. <laughs> he, you know um, what? What is the little buff boy? Yeah, little buff boys. Uh, little buff boys, uh, or um, the baby, the baby segment. Oh yeah. Uh, for the first season, but uh, he's the star of this movie, and he produced it, and um. This movie is like if the Coen brothers shot a werewolf film. Oh, I would. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, this is the same director who did Scare Me. Um, do you remember his name? I don't. I can look it up really quick. Fuck, yeah, look it up. I, I, I uh, Because I know him from uh, College Humor mainly. Oh, yeah, he was in College Humor. Before. Yeah, that's right. And the Scare Me was his like directorial debut, uh, which, is, which is pretty good. Uh, it's, it's very simple. It's almost like an anthology where it's just about Josh Rubin, Josh Rubin. And he stars in scare me also. It's him and this girl that gets snowed in and they're just telling each other scary stories back and forth, but they, you don't go into the scary stories. It's just them literally telling it and acting out the stories to each other, but it's still kind of an anthology in that way. And so werewolves within is the follow-up movie he did. 
And Sam Richardson stars as a, um, I, I think he's wildlife control in it. And he goes to this small town um, up in the Midwest. It's like a small, small, small town. And they think that a wolf is going around attacking people. But it may be a werewolf going around. And the whole thing is that these people of the town um, all get stuck in this one location. And they're like, okay, um, well, what if you're the werewolf? Or one of us in here is the werewolf. So it turns into kind of like a mystery. If it even is a werewolf. <laughs> right. You know, it could just be somebody going around murdering people. Who knows? Um, it has some very Fargo fills to it. Um, and it's funny. It's got like, it's a, it's a horror comedy. And it also has social messages as well about different things. And um, uh, it's really, really good. It's a, a very sharp script. It kind of flew under the radar. Um, but I, I rented it. I, I feel like it'll probably get released to Shutter eventually. Okay. Um, but uh, you can rent it on Amazon for five bucks or whatever. But it is a sharp movie. And it's really good. And, you know... Getting good werewolf movies are few and Very far between. Very few and far between. Yeah, because it's hard to make a werewolf movie on like a vampire film. But uh, Werewolves Within is worth a watch. And I like seeing where Josh Rubin is going as a director. And uh, Sam Richardson is just very charming and he's so likable. He's just a likable character and he's a nice guy. And you like spending time with the characters in this or being around them. And some of them are like, you know super dumb and racist and then some people are just like very set in their ways and stuff it's like a very colorful like cast of characters that are are just reflections of what's going on in america now and stuff and kind of sam richardson having to deal with all these people at the same time while still keeping this positivity yeah that he that, that, that he has and just being this nice guy and um it's really really good so werewolves werewolves within all right yeah and the next one i have and uh, it is another Shutter exclusive. Mm-hmm. It is called uh, Martyr's Lane. Okay. Did you watch that one? Mm-mm. So it's a it's a strange story about a, a young girl. Her dad is a, uh, I, I guess, uh, a bishop's assistant or something like that for a church they uh, they go to. And the mom has this very strange relationship with her young daughter. Like, I mean, this is like a nine or ten year old girl, mm. but she, her mother seems very distant from her, and uh, she's always like grabbing this locket that uh, eventually is sparks the curiosity of the young girl so much she has to open it and finds out that there's this lock of blonde hair in it, unexplained from who it's from, and. Uh, she ends up uh, losing it and going out into the woods that have a very, uh, like, uh, dark, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, a perception. Everyone has a very dark perception of the woods in the town. It's a very, And uh, when she br- goes into the woods trying to find the hair, she ends up running into this other small girl that may or may not be real. Okay. So, uh it, the movie goes in a, a. It's one of those endings where you sit around and you're like, "Does this make any sense? <laughs> like, was that the point?" And it's it's when you start looking at explanations and stuff of it, you're like, "Oh, that totally went over my head." Right. So, um, 
but yeah, it, it was a Shutter exclusives of this year that uh, I don't think got like tons of attention. Like not a lot of people talked about it, but um, it, I mean, it's rated like ninety percent on oh. Rotten Tomatoes, nice. like audience reviews. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, it was an enjoyable movie, and it's got a very depressing aesthetic to it. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Shutter's been putting out a lot of good yeah. stuff this year. Well, they put a lot of stuff. It's a mix if they're All good the or great or bad, yeah. you know. I don't think it was bad. I think it, most of them are just like fine at, at, at worst. But um, but this one is amazing. It's Psycho Goreman. Hell yeah. Uh, Psycho Goreman made my top ten films. Don't hate year. me. That was actually my last movie. So. Okay. And so so is, do you have another one before that? Or is this nope, that was, okay. that was going to be my last okay, one. But then, we could talk about it. Okay. Uh, you, you, you don't have any other ones? Other than this one, is what you're saying? Right. Okay, this is the last one I had also. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and then we'll have like the honorable mentions. But um, Psycho Goreman is uh, great. It is, it is Astron 6, the um, the co- company Astron 6. Yeah, Astron 6. Um, they're known for making comedies most of the time. They're just a, it's a, let's say a cabal, a, uh, a team of guys. A cabal. That is, <laughs> a cabal um, of people. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and the the one member that directed this, the previous movie he directed, was actually the only movie they put out that wasn't a comedy at all. That was The Void. Uh, Good movie. Yeah. And this one is uh, a comedy. This is a... Um, and holy shit. Yes. Does um, it hit home? It is... The best way to describe it is that think E.T., but instead of the kids getting a friendly alien... They adopt Lord Zed from Power Rangers. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Or, or Thanos. It's a Galactic Warlord character. And both kids, well, one is okay, but the other one is a complete raging asshole. Yeah, she she is almost like the, the one down part of the movie to well, me. Well, Pat Oswalt said on Twitter, he loves the movie, but he's like, I want to understand, like, this is one of those movies that you either love or you loathe. Like, you are not going to be in the middle with it. And I think why people will loathe it is because of Mimi, uh, who's a yeah. little girl in it. But, uh, yeah, Mimi is a complete fucking jerk, and she's a little girl, and she's got a brother that's a couple years older than her, and they're playing some stupid ball game that they made in the back backyard. Danger ball or yeah, something? Yeah, danger ball, something like that. Yeah. And he loses, and when you lose, you have to dig dig a grave? Dig, dig your, yeah, dig your own grave. Dig your own grave. And get buried. And while he's, buried, while he's digging it in the backyard, he hits an amulet that's buried in their backyard. And it turns out that it's this power... Um, conduit for this galactic warlord um who they it was like imprisoning him yeah yeah um well no no it's no? not imprisoning him it's where he gets all his power from right 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 um he was imprisoned until he found that and then he started like conquering like planets <laughs> and uh when he loses it he lost his power and he shows up on the planet and they come across him and they're like oh we can control you with this. So you got to do what we say. He's like, uh, I guess. And he's like this all powerful, like scary monster or whatever. And, uh, they use it to their complete advantage to where, um, it reminds you a lot of the grim adventures of Billy and Mandy. Absolutely. Reminds <laughs> me. It is a very violent Billy and Mandy. Yeah. Yeah. And they just kind of use him for their own means. Mostly Mimi where it's either, Hey, play drums in our band or just evaporate people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if you could turn our friend into a giant brain. Yeah. I think he does that on his own. 
Yeah, I guess he did do that on his own. But uh, I think one of the standout characters to me is the father. Yeah, the dad. That is, guy is hilarious. The dad is—I uh, can't remember the guy's name, but he's—he's he's one of the members of Astron Six. He's one of their directors, and he acts in a lot of the stuff. Um, there's one movie they made previously is called The Editor which is a uh, spoof of Italian giallo and Italian cinema, genre cinema. That's really, really good, really funny. He's the star of that. He's the titular editor in that. Um, yeah, they have a dad who is a complete fucking loser. Yeah. <laughs> He's a complete the, – the mom hates his guts. <laughs> They're in a loveless marriage. He is a complete wuss and yeah, fuck he, up. <laughs> he microwaves raw chicken. Yeah. He's just like – you microwave chicken like you mess up my microwave. It's like I think you meant to say thank you. <laughs> he <laughs> and is, she just storms yeah, off. He's so like, damn. You're funny. welcome. <laughs> um, I think the best way to to describe the humor in this movie. I'm not gonna do the hunky boy thing. I think that's best if people watch and see the joke. Yeah. But if this situation is a funny to you, the humor is not gonna work. But there's a part in it whenever Psycho Goreman is trying to get the amulet back. He's tired of being a slave to these kids. So he's trying to turn them against each other. So he wants to have a private conversation with the brother. In his nightmares. In his nightmares. That's the only way he can communicate with a person. It's like he can communicate through your nightmares. So like the boy wakes up in his nightmare and he's in his bed. And he's surrounded by like zombies are coming out of the ground. <laughs> it's like a gore man saying there's like, yes, it's like this is the most private way to talk. And he's like talking to him. He's like, we have to join forces to destroy Mimi so I can get the amulet back because she uses you and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay. And they're just standing there. It's like, well, now it's like, oh, we had to wait till your nightmare is over and you wake up. He's like, oh, all right. And they just stand there yeah. awkwardly. It's forever. Yeah. The- <laughs> you just you'll hear the zombies go, uh. uh just kind of like, like crawling like- in place. <laughs> yeah. if, if, uh, if that sounds funny to you, then you'll like the humor in the movie. Yeah, it is It is out there. Um, everything is practical effects. All the monster costumes, they use miniatures. They don't use a lot of CGI or anything like that. Um, everything is practical. Um, and hilarious. Yeah, it looks good. All, the, all the monster a, designs are cool. Definitely Power Rangers based monsters. Yes, yes, for sure. And it's all funny. The movie's funny, man. But you may hate it because of Mimi. And I hear that's pretty common. People are like, I don't like it because she's so fucking annoying. And I completely get that. Because yeah, she, she, she almost ruins the movie for me, also. But I'm I, able to get past it because of how funny everyone else but is. But we reference this movie so often, just normally. Oh, yeah. yeah. All the yeah. time. So, Psycho Gore, man. Um, got any honorable mentions? Nope. <laughs> uh, the one I want to bring up, which I feel like people are like, why do you bring this up? Or somebody may, is Fear Street. Um, oh, um, I thought that was going to be a part of it. We're, oh, were we combining everything together? Like series and stuff? I thought we were segmenting it. Oh, I thought that, but that's, those are movies. Oh, I guess they are movies. Yeah, yeah it's a series. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I would have put Fear Street Part 2 in mine. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let's talk about Fear Street real quick then. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it. I know you weren't the biggest fan of it. No, I, I, I don't hate it. I, I think it's fine. I just didn't go crazy like everybody else did. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I feel like it's targeted, even though it's got some great kills. It's very bloody, and it's, that hype died down quick. <laughs> yeah, there's cursing and all that stuff, and it like it's not aimed. I think I, it's aimed at people in their early twenties and late teens. I think. Yeah, I think that's the audience, and also it has this problem that I don't like where uh, music licensing, where it licenses too much music and it only uses like 
10, Ten seconds. seconds. Yeah. There's a minute of this, of the first movie. It's like a minute and a half long. They go through three songs. Three songs in a minute and a half. How much money did you fucking spend? And we're not talking like lesser known 90s songs. They're like getting popular fucking songs. The hits of the 90s. Yes. Um, like this is now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you can see where the director loves. You know, it's based on R.L. Stein series of books. The Fear yep. Street. The Fear Street books. Uh, children's books or young adult books i guess because they were a little bit more mature than goosebumps yeah it was for like teenagers yeah um and it's uh yeah it's 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 the director definitely you could tell how much she loves scream oh yeah for sure um, especially in that first part and um each movie is a different from a different year so it's 1994 1978 yeah in 1666 is the worst one. Yeah, I agree. By far. I agree. That's by the worst far. One. Um, Not my favorite. It, it. I. I had a hard time giving a fuck about the main character, or her struggle. Like, oh, I'm doing all of this, and I got my spoiler. Got my kill. I got my friends killed <laughs> because of a girl that I'm in love with in high school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure that'll last. I'm sure that's gonna go very well. Of course, you and your high school girlfriend. <laughs> Um, I just didn't care about her, and I don't think the actress is very good either. So she's just solid. But there's other characters I like. I like her friends, and I I, I think her little brother is like the best character. Oh yeah, he's in great. the show. Um, but yeah, when they get to that third Fear Street, and they go to, um, like 1666, it's like a flashback to their yeah, yeah, yeah. ancestors of the characters and stuff. Um, it's still played with the same actors. Just doing really terrible accents. Yeah, really bad. There, there, there's a reason why the witch works so much as a period piece. Because oh, the, it's just the eye to detail of how the dialect sounds and how the lines are delivered can really make or break a period. Absolutely, piece film. it's like no, you don't just put on an English accent. That's yes. not how that's that all works. they did. It's like just everybody's British. I don't yeah, know. It's like oh. Okay. And they're bad British accents. But <laughs> I, I think Fear Street Part 2 was the strongest of all. That's my three. favorite one. That's my favorite too. Yeah. And that's the one that kind of was like, okay, I kind of like Fear Street. I don't think it's bad. There's a lot of cool kills. I like that we get so many killers. Yeah. I think and they're the all kill- like And I think archetypes. the killers were pretty cool too. Yeah. Except for Ruby. Yeah, no, Ruby said. Which is dumb. She's like, she's hot girl with a, with a straight razor. She's like, Bleh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what a boring. Um, but yeah, everything else like the killer and how the killer is made in, in 1978 is pretty cool. Um, the unveiling of who a bunch of these killers are and stuff is cool. And, and I like how they look. There's some that they show that you don't even learn about. It's yeah. Like, what the fuck is like, that guy's story? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I want to know because he's cool. Yeah, like, it's like the one with like the like the little boy mask with like the baseball bat. Like yeah. Like the little kid. Yep. Um, you never learn about him and he looks fucking weird and stuff. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're fun. People really loved them though when they came out yeah, and stuff yeah. and were really into them and I think they were okay. Yeah. They were all right. Yeah. Okay. Well then let's do TV shows. What was your favorite horror TV show of 2021? It's going to be creep show. Really? Yeah. Damn. Mine's Midnight Mass. Um, uh, I think, I, I think the thing for me is, uh, Midnight Mass is fantastic for sure. But I think the thing for me is is that Creepshow comes in these like very bite-sized increments. Yeah. And it was perfect for when I'm sitting at work and it's like, man, I just kind of want something in the background that I can watch. 
and Creepshow would always have like a, a kind of fun skit or something to go off of and, right. and be enjoyable and be able to retain everything that I saw and not have to decipher it while I'm working. <laughs> right, yeah. Midnight Mass you have to sit and watch, but Midnight Mass not only is my favorite show of 2021, but it's my favorite release of anything in 2021. Yeah, you you were uh, really Midnight Mass is perfect. <laughs> Midnight Mass is a perfect. It's really good. Um, It is, if you feel like being bummed out, <laughs> you That's a good it. one. <laughs> um, but also by the end, there's also like this hopefulness in it and everything. But Midnight Mass is... um. I'm going to say unveil what kind of story it is for anybody that hasn't seen it. But the type of story it is, is one of the best of that story that's been told. And it is also some of the best acting, I think. Oh, it's amazing acting. Everybody on the show is fucking great. And I hear complaints like people don't talk like this. People don't talk like this where they just go in these long monologues. Because people just like talking about themselves and their past for like. Just everybody has monologues. It's monologues yeah, it all is over the place. Very monologue heavy. Um, it's like yeah, they don't, but but they're good monologues. But it's a fucking TV show, yeah, <laughs> you know, or a movie. Like it's fine because uh, there's so much character development and there's so much that these characters feel lived in and real, and it has these interesting things. Where sure, it's about religion, and sure, it's about you know, uh, um, uh, different things like sobriety and redemption and coming you know overcoming these different things in your life and 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 finding something that gives you purpose and and also mortality and all these other things but also has a really interesting message about fanaticism oh yeah you know and what not only just religious fanaticism can go like whenever you know that that's one focus of like you find something and how like a religion will no matter how they're acting, we'll use that as an excuse to yeah. do some of the most awful things ever. But also just fanaticism in general and how bad it can be and, and mob mentality. Um, every actor is spot on where you find out what's going on and how it plays into everything, um, how they use that type of mythology and the spins they use for it is amazing. Um, I think that uh, it is the best Stephen King adaptation that was – never Stephen King creation. Like Mike Flanagan has now figured out the Stephen King formula. Oh yeah. And has out Stephen King, Stephen King. That's fair. <laughs> um, because it's, you know, these blue collar people that feel like they're right off a Stephen King novel, but just, it's, it's so fucking good and it's just perfect. I can't think of anything I don't like about that show. I give it a 10 out of 10. I give it 11 out of 10. You guys haven't watched midnight mass. The episodes are beefy. And it's not going to be a second season. No, um, it is a one. Yeah, it's a one and done. One and done. Yeah. Um, and, and if they did a second season, it would probably ruin it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's eight episodes, but each episode is like an hour Isn't long. Isn't it seven? It may be seven. I thought, yeah, seven or eight. Yeah. I think it's seven. seven. Um, but each episode is beefy. Mm-hmm. They're beefy episodes. And um, it's amazing. Worth it, though. It's incredible. It's an incredible show. Um, okay. What was your favorite video, video game? Oh, weren't we doing clothing brand? Yeah. Oh, you want to do the clothing brand first? Yeah. Okay. I have to use my intro music. Oh, yes. <laughs> you fool. That's why we save it for last. Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite And horror... it's a good time to take a pee break. <laughs> yes. Favorite horror clothing brand. Dude, I, I got to give it to Cavity Colors this year. I agree. They fucking nailed it okay. on all their designs. I love them. Um, I was going to give it to Cavity Colors. 
or Paul Bearer Press. Well, Paul Bearer Press is but always I think, doing great I think stuff. Cavity Colors is more consistent in their releasing. Um, and they release more as well. They, they put out more. Paul Bearer Press puts out like one shirt. Yeah, or like, like one like toy or like whatever, you know. They're also like putting things out for like other for like a few months well. at a time. Yeah, yeah, and not not shitting on Paul Bear Press at all because I love their stuff probably no. more than anyone else's. But Cavity Colors has just been popping them out, yeah, and doing a great job. Yeah, it's crazy because you know uh, Fright Rags is actually my least favorite this year, which um, I'm not going to talk shit about Fright Rags because everybody at the company is amazing. They're they're really solid of the earth kind of people like ben and his team i know they all, used to be like your absolute yeah favorite. i know that that's why i bring it up um but ben and his team are like really really nice like they're all just great people they're they have a great rapport with the fan base they're very quick on replying to your comments and concerns or even just asking like hey are you gonna put out this collection they're like well no we aren't but this company is you should give them your business everything they're 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 quick to just talk to you and, and help you with your order and everything they really care about them but it, it's it's at one point, you know, I was buying so much Fright Rags, you literally thought I was going to go broke. <laughs> yeah, it, dude, it was like insane amounts of Fright Rags um, like showing up at the door. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just their collections this past year have just let me down. Yeah, very um, plain, not – it's like here's the movie poster cartoonized. I'm like oh. – Yeah, here's, here's – the. I hate whenever it's a shirt, whenever it's either a movie poster or it's – we just took an image from the movie and we just like edited it to make it look like it's right. raggedy. There you go, fucker. Here's your shirt. Like that's so lazy. Whenever like every collection, they have so many collections, have so many shirts, and so much is going on. And they always had a Justin Osborne design, who's like their big artist. Um, and it felt like Justin Osborne wasn't putting out as many shirts for them uh, this year. For sure. Um, as often, and there's like so many a lot collections. of the shirts were just like quotes. Yeah, it was I, like oh. I mean, there was some, there were a few collections that were really big. You know, the Burbs, yeah. Back to the Future, Bill and Ted, Shaun the Dead. Those were like really good release re- collection releases. But there were so many like Escape from New York, The Mouth of Madness, Prince of Darkness. All three of those, I was super excited for. They all let me down. They were terrible releases. Yeah, like it was like here's the fucking poster on a shirt. Give me twenty eight dollars. It's like, man, we, we we slightly edited. It's like, no, I mean, they they didn't say it like that. I'm sure, but you know, no. like, it just it just felt like it was. I was so excited they were putting out, and it was just always a letdown anytime it come out. Yeah. But then cavity colors, who I was always like, you were, I was always more of the cavity colors. Yeah, guy. I was always kind of, I you know, I, it's nothing. I, I always liked his art, but he's just gotten so much better. Is Devin draws who does mm-hmm. Devin does their um does their major designs. For cavity colors, he's just gotten so much better as an artist. He's really gotten really great, and I just love all the designs he's done this year. I love that Amityville horror run they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they put that new maniac shirt this year. And stuff oh yeah, and they're great. Yeah, and the zombie one, and uh, yeah. Uh, but all the stuff he did last year, Devin has really upped his game. Cavity clothes has upped their game. Their long sleeves are really been cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the tie dyes I like. The tie dyes are pretty cool. The, the Psycho Gore Man collection was awesome. I got the Hunky yeah. Boy shirt. Yeah. Um, their sweatpants, all this stuff, you know, is is I, yeah, I just I really like the design. Sweatpants, yeah, too. and I feel like they're challenging themselves. They did that Godzilla run where they're like releasing shirts for each Godzilla movie. Oh, <laughs> like no, it's thank long. You. Yeah, um, and I don't know. They've just been very impressive this year. Yeah. So Cavity Colors is my choice also. Um, 
And they're they're both very nice also. It's a couple that owns that. Yeah, in Atlanta, I think they're Yeah, in Atlanta. Down. I actually met them briefly up at uh, when me and Chris went up to New York to see John Carpenter live. Oh, okay. They were at the show, and I just told them how much I like their clothing brand and everything. And, and That's stuff. awesome. So, yeah. Um, and they're very nice. But, uh, yeah, Cavity Colors, keep it up. You guys are yeah, getting for real. better and better. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm super fucking impressed. And I've been impressed with one month between the Ghostface, the Maniac, and the Zombie Collections you guys have put out in January. Yep. <laughs> Alone? Like, dude, keep it going, man. I am I am impressed. <laughs> yeah, it's badass. Yeah. All right, well, then we'll go into not, our ca- not Blaze's cabinet of video game curiosities, but our favorite video game. Of, of the year. 2021. Yeah. Horror video game of 2021. So what's your favorite game of 2021? I think we all know what the answer to this is. It was the biggest release probably of 2021 for video games. Yeah, probably. Maybe minus Halo Infinite. Oh, Halo Infinite, yeah. Which is great, and I love it. Um, We're going to say the best horror video game (laughs) of 2021 is Resident Evil Village. Yeah. Yeah, who saw that coming? Yeah, no, it's crazy. You know that critically acclaimed game that was amazing (laughs) that nobody hated that's our number one because it is that damn good yeah but there's a reason because yeah it is that damn good yeah it deserves all the praise that it gets yeah for sure um it graphics wise yeah incredible Uh uh-huh uh story-wise fantastic yeah voice acting perfect Mm, right no, you don't no. think so? Dude, Ethan is the worst voice actor. Okay, Ethan. Ethan, maybe. But Ethan, everyone at- his, his dialogue is so bad. Lady Demetrius. Thick. <laughs> Give my daughter back. Yeah. Please. <laughs> but um, I really love the family of villains in that game. Yeah, I think the villains are cool. I like how they use Chris in it. Chris mm-hmm. Redfield in it. Um. I think it has some really memorable moments, some really interesting fights, especially like near the end. There's one that's really cool whenever you're in a particular type of vehicle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, that one is sick. I think also there's things that it explains in this one that makes uh, things that happen at seven make more sense. Make more sense. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, okay. So it's like that complaint that people had. Like, that's out the window. <laughs> yeah, know? now it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now it makes sense. And, I mean, it was just so much, like, it didn't feel like it lulled. No. Like, it was straight, like, I have something to do yeah. every second. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting seeing things like werewolves and vampires introduced into the Resident Evil world. Yeah. Still using the Resident Evil reasoning of why they are the way they are. Yep. Like why there's lichen and why there are vampires where it's still a bio reason. It's like a bio reason that has like almost a supernatural origin. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very, I don't know. Like it is, it is probably one of the best games I have played in years, like in general. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Village uh, is really, really good. Um, I don't know. It's, it's. Between seven and eight, it definitely breathed new life into the franchise that was kind of 
especially after six. Oh, people it was were just like uh, sauntering its way out. Yeah. What what what, what can we do? Six, you know? The picture of a giraffe sucking its own dick. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen it, look at that six. It looks like a giraffe sucking its own dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but then when seven came out, people were like, "Okay, you're doing a different They're angle back. now." This is interesting. The, actually, the thing that's least interesting about 7 and 8, I think, is them still trying to tie it into Umbrella Yeah. and everything. I think I think that 7 was just straight up like, no, this is a redneck family and this is, you know, this other stuff. But that they had to tie it back into Umbrella was kind of like, eh, whatever. And it's kind of the same with Village also. It's kind yeah. of a continuation where it's like, no, it has to go back. It's like, no, just just have a story. Like, just let it be vampires and werewolves and stuff. That's it's fine. It's fucking cool. Yeah. We'll still like it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> But either way, it was fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's my favorite also. Yep. Yeah. But you have an honorable mention, or do you have a favorite independent game? Uh, honestly, I've got to say that my favorite independent one I have played so far has still not been released. Oh. So it was the demo for it that I mm-hmm. played, uh, which was Blood West, okay, which yeah. we discussed on here before, because yes. it is just too much fun. Yeah. Um, but my honorable mention is the last part of the Dark Pictures trilogy, which is House of Ashes. Okay. So it is to take something like, uh, so you're in Iraq during like the, the early mid 2000s after 9-11. So it's a great you know, time to be there. Yeah. And it's like really heating up and you're playing both sides of the militaries though and it's very interesting uh-huh. uh to you know and they they have a very uh they make a human and evil side the both sides which is you know more realistic than they're just a bad guy right you know and um but they tie it into uh babylonian mythology which i never thought there would be a game off of right <laughs> and so they go really deep into the and and again it has to do with uh like this kind of babylonian spirit dealing with vampirism uh-huh. and they always do such a good job at telling a story like playing like I, i've always said playing the dark pictures games uh or you know the, the, again the same people did until dawn uh it's almost like uh, watching a movie where you get to make a few decisions. It's like one of those little books that you read through and you get to choose your own path. Yeah, right. And it's like all their games are yeah, like all their the games choose your own like adventure. Yeah. And this one was really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really well done. Because it, it, I know Little Hope also came out in 2021 and it was a little bit meh. It was all right. It was a little hopeless. And, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it was and i think part of it was they came out with man of medan which was such a strong game like, mm-hmm. it was so good and then you had little hope which was eh and then they brought it back with house of ashes cool so yeah definitely check that game out nice yeah i didn't play too many other uh horror video games i, I earlier in the year i played not nothing for twenty twenty one, but I played the Resident Evil two and Resident Evil three remasters. Oh, they're great. And they're great. Um, and then I played Village, but um, and Biohazard. I played Biohazard. I, I was going through all the Resident Evil main titles except for six. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I, this year I played two, three. Uh, I replayed the remaster one, which I played before. Then I replayed the remasters of two and three, four, five, skip six, then to seven, and then village recently. Um, you should go play six. <laughs> no. No, never again. I played six. It was not good. I never got through six. It's too fucking long. It's just, it's, it's not. really long and it's really repetitive. Yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't play any of the other horror games that came out this year, really, or anything. Any of the new games. So, except for the ones we talked about or I watched you play. Yeah. Pomalia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pomalia. That's a great one. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, Resident Evil 8, Village is a... Uh, game of the year. Game of the year. Shocker. <laughs> you win the Bladed Apples Award of nothing. <laughs> you win the Bladed Apples Award of a apple that has a razor blade in it. <laughs> now we will watch the director eat it. <laughs> you have to eat it or you will dishonor us. <laughs> you get two thumbs up that you can't see because it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We'll you, sing the campfire song from Madman to you and just get you really annoyed. <laughs> you get the blady. That's our award. Uh so there's your blady for for Midnight Mass and Village and whatever my number one movie was for the horror genre, which I didn't have a number one. There's we we gave you guys a lot of recommendations. Yeah, I I think <laughs> so. They we, all get bladies. <laughs> I think we settled on probably Candyman being right up there. Oh yeah, Candyman's my favorite one. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else? No. Okay, that's it for me. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we gave you an extra beefy episode and gave you a lot of recommendations. So if you guys haven't seen different things that we brought up, now you have a reason to. Um, you have a list of different things to check out. I know some people have been like, they like whenever we recommend stuff or there's things we'll talk about. They never heard of that. They are like, Oh shit. Like I have something to watch now, whatever. All these movies are ones that we really enjoyed. Yeah. You know, some for you to check out. Yeah. Some for you to check out. Um, message us if you got questions about them. Yeah. If you have questions about them or if you guys have favorites of your own, then let us know on, uh, the email at bladedapplespod at gmail.com or you can reach us on the Instagram, uh, Blade Apples Podcast. Um, that's what we use the most. There's also the Facebook, but just like most people, we don't use Facebook as much yeah, anymore. Yeah, we're, we're Insta boys. Uh, yeah. Um, so IG and the email is the best place to reach us. Um, so if you had a favorite movie or favorite movies of, of 2021, let us know. We would love to hear it. Um Thank you guys for listening. Um, we really appreciate anybody that, that that sat through all this or comes back as a repeated guest. And if you do enjoy what we're doing, share the podcast with a friend. Who knows? You know, they may like it or they may hate it and they may stop being your friend because they hate it so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we're their Mimi. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like they're like, I can't stand these two fuckers. It's like me neither. <laughs> um, me, me neither. <laughs> yeah, me, me neither. Um but yeah, thank you guys again for listening. Thanks to Stefan Mize for making our art. Check him out on Instagram at Stefan Mize or at Crawling Panther Tattoo Parlor, which is the parlor that he owns in Ocala, Florida. Um, he's an amazing tattooer, an amazing guy that loves horror and it's uh, great to work with. Um, good friend of mine. And uh, thanks to Blaze for being a great co-host and putting all this stuff together, editing it. 
make it make sense. Um, and yeah, that's 2021 in review. Anything to add? Uh, I hope this year's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it all goes. We'll see. I don't think it will be. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm an optimist, so I, I I can't say it won't be. <laughs> I'll find something good about it. Uh, we're alive. Yeah. That's... Okay, you got me there. That's a good part. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> oh yeah. Never mind. <laughs> you changed my mind again. <laughs> But yeah, so until next time, guys, remember every day is Halloween, so please act accordingly. So until next time. See ya. Bye.